It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show, guys. I'm your host, Brian Preston, and um, this is going to be an interesting show. I'm going out of town for most of next week, so we needed to hurry up and get this show in the hopper so Bo could work on it while I was out of town next week. And it's, you know, you guys who have been listening for, for quite a while now know that this show is run pretty loosely. And Bo's probably smiling over there because he, he knows how closer to the truth that is. But one of the things that the way we get motivated to do shows is really things that are going on in our life where you guys write us an email and kind of tell us some questions or, or things that you've run across. And that's really where we get show topics. And what we're going to be talking about today is, is that it's a topic that's been going on in the Preston household quite a bit recently is um, new car purchases. We're going to be talking about really how you get the, the most bang for the buck and winning the car buying game. I'm going to kind of even recap an, a great show we did back when we first started doing the Money Guys show back in 2006. I'm going to kind of recap some of those notes. And then I'm even going to bring up um, a discussion point that I find kind of interesting. There's been some articles that came out in the last few weeks about American cars and should you consider buying American cars, you know, it was, it, we got, it got to be out of vogue for a while. I think there were some quality issues. I can even share some of my stories and then it moved on. Um, I, I want to kind of close out the show or I might be getting the order a little out of sync here, but we're going to kind of talk about also car dealer scams to avoid, meaning strategies that when you walk into a car dealership, you need to make sure that you're aware of these things so that you don't fall prey to, to some of these activities. Now, before we actually jump into the meat of the show, uh, I do want to go ahead and give you guys the website. It's money-guy.com. Also, you can write the show to give us input since you do have such a profound impact on what we do cover in future shows. You can write me directly at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. And, you know, th this show really would not be what it is without your grassroots support because uh, we're not funded by a big corporation. We don't have any big publishing deals where there's a publisher in the background that's marketing us and, and pushing us. We, um, You are it. You are the marketing department of the Money Guy Show. And I'd love for you, if you could, if you like what you hear here, if you feel like you're getting some, some value-added um, benefit, please check us out uh, on iTunes and even leave us some feedback. Now, I do have my trusted associate here. He's being kind of quiet. It's um, Bo Hansen. Bo, if you want to kind of jump in here and tell us um, any thoughts you have since we've recorded the last show. Hey, guys. I'm, I'm Bo Hansen. I am a financial advisor down here on the south side of Atlanta. I'm a CFP candidate, which means I'll have my CFP license uh, in March of next year, assuming all goes well. And I'm currently studying to become a CFA. Well, the big CFA. Yeah, and that's what um, Bo would like to know if anybody knows what the CFA is. That's one of those that I've told him he really needs to get because I'm trying to add another skill set here to our firm. But um, I, I think he's wondering now that he's in the deep, deep, dark belly of studying for this test. He's wondering if it's really worth it. But I, I think it's going to pay off for him in the long term. How was that? That was kind of my Brian Press introduction. How'd that go? It was okay. I need to work on it a little bit. Yeah, we sent we sounded a little amateurish just just then, but we're working on it. Okay. <laughs> so let's kind of jump right in. I, I think probably the first thing that I want to talk about is um you know this whole car buying thing. Besides your home purchases, uh, really buying an automobile is one of the biggest things that an an average individual is going to buy. 
And there's so many different schools of thought on what you should do, but I will tell you, and, and a lot of people, they love having a new car, and even I think the commercial that came out a few years ago that really kind of sums up the whole car buying experience to me was there was a Volkswagen commercial a number of years ago where when you start thinking about buying a car, you see like it, it was almost like a little Mattel, you know, um, Hot Wheels car on the side of a guy's head, and then you seem like, a day or two later and that car keeps getting bigger and bigger and what it's talking about is that car buying kind of takes over it's kind of like when you go look at new houses when you look at new cars all of a sudden you get in that fever you get that car buying fever where you you, you just can't that's all you can think about is how much better your life would be with that brand new car and i think that you know we're kind of this is bred into us at a young age i know when i was a young guy growing up um, it wasn't too popular with the ladies when I was 14, 15 years old. And I just had in my head when I was 14 or 15 that as soon as I turned 16 and got my driver's license and my 1984 Chevy Cavalier that my friends all affectionately called the Ragalier because it had rust and all kind of other things, I just had in my head that women were going to now be all into Brian Preston. And um, so there's something romantic about cars that we have this love affair as Americans with our vehicles now, we'll go ahead and tell you now that... How'd that work uh, out for yeah, you? Yeah, that's exactly right. It, they didn't show up. It was not <laughs> one of those field of dreams where if you build it, they will come. It, uh, it didn't change my dating life one bit. Probably has to go with like last week's show when we were talking about tight wads and uh -huh. penny pinchers. My $7 <laughs> dating techniques didn't exactly draw them in either. But um, the, here nor there, the, the, the thing is, is that I think from a young age, we do have a, a room. We kind of look at automobiles is, is this freeing experience. And, and there is this excitement about having a new vehicle. But then there's the dark side of the, of the automobile. I know whenever I start thinking about buying a new car, it's much easier for me to shop for clients for new cars than it is to shop for myself because you do have that emotional element. But I hate going to car dealerships. I just, I do not like the experience one bit because you just know you're being sold to. And I'm kind of the anti-sales guy. I do not like being sold to one bit. And, and that's what we'll talk about, car dealer scams to avoid. And, and that sounds so harsh because, I, I, you know, especially in this day and time in this economy where anybody working, you kind of have a respect for them. Because in this economy, so I hate to say that car dealers and car salesmen are, are scamming you, but that's what this article was titled that was um, provided by Forbes.com. So we'll kind of go through that. But I also want to give you kind of the skill set on how you can be successful when you shop for cars. Now, let me give you some new car buying strategy. Now, a lot of you going, Brian, you should never buy new. You should only buy used cars. And there's a lot of truth to that. But I will tell you what I have found in my experience is if you're buying a popular car, a car that, um, you know, used to could say the Toyota Camry, but I know Toyota is not super popular right now. And I'm a household with two Toyotas right now, you know, currently. But Honda Accords and other things like that is, that have been known for having high quality, good consumer reliability um, typically have great depreciation, I meaning they don't depreciate a lot, which when I've gone and priced it out, if you're a very savvy buyer, you can go buy some of these good cars that hold their value well, and I think you get a better deal than a used car, and that's probably going to shock a lot of people out there. Typically on a used car, um, these my personal opinion, is you get the best deal on unpopular cars. Those are the cars that are going to take the biggest depreciation hit, and that's really what you're looking to get is taking advantage of that car that as soon as you pull it off the lot, it's going to take a big hit in value. And um, back in April of 2006, so I, I mean, this was in the infancy of the Money Guy show, I did a great show. And if you want, I, I'd welcome 
Anybody who's a premium member, feel free to go pull up in our archives the April 19th, 2006 show where I talk about winning the car buying game. And I went and looked at what I, what advice I was giving back then, and, and I think it's just good enough to, to be repeated and almost have an echo effect, is that I know that I am an ultra uber tightwad. And one of the things when I'm going to go buy, a, I shouldn't say a tightwad, but I'm definitely frugal. I think Bo will, will tell you is that I'm not cheap. Um, when it comes to buying electronics and other things like that, I love my gadgets, but I'm not going to get taken to the cleaners on a transaction. I, I'm going to do my homework and make sure I show up with everything figured out. And that's what I want you guys to do too. And that's kind of what I put in. I put four steps to winning the new car game. And the first one was know what car you want first. And, and what I've done is, is that I think so often, I'm always surprised when I talk to a neighbor or a friend and they go and they buy a new car and they say, you know, we were just riding around going to dealerships and, and driving cars and seeing what we like. That shocks me a little bit because I'm worried if you go into the car buying experience doing that, you're going to get that excitement, that fever, as I say, the car it buying fever. It becomes an emotional decision. It, it does. And you're going to get out there and then they're going, to, they're going to do some of these tactics I'm going to share with you in a minute. And you're going to be ill-equipped to be able to, to, to have a fair battle. And you're going to have that emotional kind of come in and you're probably going to end up buying a new car without being equipped to really know what you're doing with the transaction. So the first step is know what car you want first. Now that means that you can go do your research and I would go to consumerreports.com or consumer reports if you have a subscription and just look at their new car, you know, their car buying issue. And then I'd even go to edmunds.com. Edmunds has a great forum. They have a lot of research, a lot of data out there. And once you, you settle on a few cars, you kind of, you know, bowl it down to you have three or four models that you're interested in you can go to the dealerships to take a test drive but before you get out of that car on the dealership lot i want you to, to kind of look in the the rearview mirror and look at yourself slap yourself in the face a few times and promise yourself i mean you got to make sure you're fully awake for the thing but promise yourself no matter what that salesman tells you you're not buying a car that day you're just there to test drive fact find figure things out you're not at all at the point of negotiation. That's that's step one. So know what car you want first. Do the data finding, you know, and figure out what you want. Um, Bo, you're looking at me like you're kind of surprised by that. No, that I'm just what I'm doing is I, one. I have a question, and two, uh, I'm picturing you sitting in a brand new car, test driving it, watching you slap yourself in the face. No, no, no. This is before you get out of your car. Oh, oh. So oh, this is I as thought... you're pulling onto the lot of the new car dealership in your current car. And before you get out and they, and they attack you or, or come up to you aggressively and, and want to start showing you cars, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, I will not buy a car today. Well, that because, doesn't change the imagery a whole lot, but it makes more sense. Yeah, but it, it, you're just promising yourself that you're there for fact-finding and fact-finding alone. And, and the reason I'll tell you that is um, I, I, my personal belief is that you want to avoid negotiating on-site at the dealership. And you just don't want to do that. I think you're much more effective if you negotiate over the phone. And a lot of you are like, how is that possible? The reason is because you can bring in other players. You can actually have two dealers going up against each other. You can do. I'm going to share that, a lot of this in a few minutes. But I do not like to negotiate in person. I just think you lose a lot of your, your, your ability to really play the card. I mean, because if, if you're on-premise... You have to physically stand up, walk out. It's a, it's a whole big dramatic ordeal. Whereas if you're on the phone, if somebody says something that's just crazy, you're like, thank you for your time, and then you hang up. Very easy. And they recognize that there's limitations with that. So 
it, it, they, they're going to be much more straightforward with you over the phone. Whereas if you're on premise, there's a whole theatrical experience that goes on. And I'll go into that in a minute too. So that's step one is know what you want first. So do your research, go test drive, but don't buy on premise. Number two, and this is a big one. This is one that I think that the car dealerships don't want you to know. And I've even noticed one car manufacturer has made this step harder to do. But if you, I found a way around it, and you can too, is that you can go to the manufacturer's website, it's Honda, Ford, Toyota, General Motors, whatever, and locate dealers in your area. You know, they all have find a, your local dealer, and you type in your zip code, and then um, some of them, like Toyota, General Motors, you know, which is Chevrolet, Buick, um, you know, all the General Motors brands, uh, Cadillac, um, all those and it, um, and Ford have where you can even do inventory searches right there on the internet. And what the reason I'm telling you about this is because what I want you to do is you're going to type in your zip code and it's going to, and like I said some of those dealers those websites like Toyota and General Motors make it very easy for you to use this tool to where you can go find the exact vehicle that you want at a dealership near you. Now, if you're to make this in a very effective tool, you might also have to go on Google and find the zip code to type in the zip code for the cities that those other dealerships are located. Because you, you can't, you've got to trick the system to figure out what each of those dealerships has in inventory. And once you find two or three cars that are exactly alike at two separate dealerships, now you can game the system. And this is where you call and you talk to... Um, well, I'm getting out of order. So, but I, I do think you want to find two or three vehicles at the, you know, at competing dealerships. I think that's, that's the key thing because you are going about to game the system is what you're about to do and, and put two dealerships head to head with each other and, and see how good of a deal you can get. The Honda website used to be very easy to do this. So when I, before I, I started doing the show today, I said, let me go back. It's been a few years. It's been four years since we did this show last. I said, let me see what, what's going on with the websites. And Toyota still was very easy to go search through the inventory to find the exact cars you want. General Motors was very easy. Honda has changed their website. Now, Honda, you can't go search inventory directly from the Honda website, meaning typing Honda.com, but you can... Most of the dealerships I found for Honda do have their own personal website. So you just need to go on the Honda website, type in your zip code, get the name of the dealership, and then you need to go put that in Google, and then you can get the actual Honda dealership. And I know the Honda, the two Honda dealerships that are within a 10-mile radius here um, have their inventory right there on the Internet. But you have to add in a, a step. Honda's gotten smart enough that they've added a step to that. Okay, so that's step two. So you found your inventory of the vehicles you want. After you, you know, step one, find the vehicle you want. Number two, find two of the exact same vehicle at two or three dealerships. Step three is figure out what to pay. Always go on carsdirect.com first and add in all the options. And what that's going to do is that's going to give you the MSRP, the manufacturer's suggested retail price, but then it's also usually gives you invoice and then what a dealer will sell it to you right there over the internet. So that gives you kind of a good baseline of what you know what you you know without having to do a lot of legwork it kind of tells you what a, a price is it doesn't necessarily mean it's the lowest price but it's a price at least something to start with and from there i also go to edmunds if you go to edmunds.com and go to their forum section when you're in their forum section you can choose the make model 
year of the vehicle you're looking to buy. And they always have under the discussion, discussion forums, prices and buying experience. When you click on that forum and go into prices and buying experience, it will tell you what a lot of people are paying for the exact vehicle. I mean, they'll, they'll lay out the options and what they paid for their vehicle directly. And that's great because now you're actually seeing what people paid. And I'm always amazed when I go into Edmonds, it's not hard with a little bit of reading to see what people pay in the Atlanta area. I mean, we, we fortunately live in a large enough metropolitan city that Atlanta is usually listed somewhere on there. And hopefully you guys will have the same experience that you can find whatever city you live near, you can find somebody within a you know 100 mile radius of where you live that, that's posted on Edmund. So go on there and now you can figure out what to pay. Um, so once you're loaded up with what you're going to pay, now is when you bring it all together. And this is when you go to step four because you've got, you're loaded up with your research, you're loaded up with your pricing information. And this is when... The, the rubber hits the, the road, or, or the, you know, however the saying. Did I say that right? I always mess these things. It's rubber road. No, that was right. That was a good okay. pun. And good pun. So, uh, so now it's when you call the, the dealership directly and you ask to speak with the sales manager. And once you ask to speak with the sales manager, you, you let whoever answers the phone know they, they, that you've gone on the Internet, you've done your research, you know that they have the car you want, on the lot, or it will be there in the next few days or a few weeks, because a lot of times they will show you their upcoming inventory on the website too, and that you're ready to buy. And that you'll also tell them that you need to know their rock bottom price, because you've located two to three other cars of the exact same model at other dealerships, and that you're showing up with a check to whatever dealership has the best price. And then leave it at that, and tell them you don't want to care about undercoating and all the other things. Say so you want it, you're doing an apples to apples comparison. You know, before you know, want to know what true drive out is, what you're going to, have to show up with a check for, and then let them go to work. And you'd be surprised at how competitive this gets. I mean, it's a. I will tell you, after you find the car and you actually make the deal, you will have to let the other dealers know because they're going to call and pester you until they know that the deal is either happening or not happening. But if you can follow those four steps, which, you know, just reviewing is know what car you want first. That's where, you know, Bo's picking on me, but I really do mean when you pull up on that dealership to test drive a vehicle, not buying a car that day. Step two, go to the manufacturer's website, you know, Ford, Toyota, General Motors. You can go look at the inventory and figure out, find a few vehicles. Number three is figure out what to pay. You got to do your research, do your homework. That's why I'm always shocked as I was talking about in step one, you know, when I was talking about the people who just ride around and go test drive vehicles and then go negotiate right there. And then number four is now that you're loaded, put it to work. Call the sales managers and actually get them to get start giving you prices. And a lot of times you will get a car. You can, especially in these dark economic times, you can get a car below invoice. And the reason is, is that dealers get paid not only a portion of the vehicle they sell you, but the, the manufacturers also send them bonus checks based upon volume of sales. So there's holdbacks and other things that they get at the end of the year. So it's not uncommon if you, especially these high volume dealerships, it's not always what they're making off each vehicle. They're also thinking about the number of vehicles that they're unloading because you can really get some good deals. So I hope that helps out. Now that's for new cars. Used cars, I still think some great websites to go check out is autotrader.com. Um, Kelly Blue Book, and then Edmunds.com is great for the research on, on even used cars. 
But that's some, some general really good advice. I hope that helps out. And that, we haven't even gotten into the articles that I was going to cover, but I felt like we need to do a recap of what I did a few years ago. But remember, don't negotiate on site is some of the biggest advice I can give you. And then never discuss whether or not you want to trade in your existing car until after you've reached a deal on the new car. You don't. Do not negotiate your used car until after you know the price you're going to pay on the new car. And then likewise, separate your possible need to finance a car, the loan of the car, um, until after you've actually got a price too. Because those things are completely independent. And it's, it's very common. I will tell you the biggest skill, the biggest thing I see whenever I've gone to dealerships, the few times I've actually negotiated my own vehicles, I'm always surprised. And I think this probably works with the majority of Americans, but I think it is the biggest suckers thing that is going on out there is they always say, hey, what's your current payment? And then, you know, they wait for an answer. And they can pretty much, through the, the beauty of math and, you know, financial calculators and everything, they can get about any sum of money into that monthly payment these days. Because now cars don't just get pay, financed over three years, four years, five years. Now they go six and seven years. So, you know, it doesn't matter how much the lump sum is. They can get that car payment down. So if you start negotiating off of what the car payment is, you're already losing. So, and I will tell you my personal advice, and I'm kind of off script here, this was not in any of my points, is that I would not finance a car. I, I think it's fine to get a, a four-year note on a car, but I like to have my cars paid off. If you're going to have to finance, if you can't afford to pay cash for your car, you want to pay it off in three years. The reason I say that is because, remember, this is a depreciating asset, and that keeps you from ever being underwater. And it also just keeps you focused on the principal balance. I, I can't imagine, I know so many people that live in my neighborhood who I know that they never own a vehicle. They, they just carry a balance. I mean, I even have some, some tax clients, uh, you know, I've shown Bo because of that sales tax deduction that they just roll this negative equity. If you are buying a car and dealing with negative equity on your previous car, something might be wrong. But I don't think that's many of you listeners out there because... I mean, if you're listening to the Money Guy Show, you're probably cream of the crop already on the financial stuff. Bo, did you have anything you want to add before we jump on some of these articles? Yeah, I have a few questions. One, how much should you put down when you buy a car? Should you try to put down as much as possible, or does it depend on the interest rate? Do you try to play that game, or what? I, I like people to put down as much as they can afford, because, but I'm not a big debt guy. I know, I see your, your face, you're sitting here. What about here, all these 0% financing things? Well, zeros, 0% is okay, but I will tell you, honestly, most of the time it's in either or. Either you're getting 0% financing or you're getting a rebate. And I will tell you, most of the time, you want to take the money and then go take the, get the financing at a credit union or something like that. Because they, they, it's, it's not, a, now if you get a, a both if you get zero percent and a rebate obviously yeah take it and if you feel comfortable enough if you're disciplined enough i'd play that game i'd probably definitely play that game where where i'd you know still pay it off in three years but i'd take their zero percent but usually like i said it's an either or where you either get a rebate or you know or more money off the car you're buying or you take the zero percent and all day long i would rather have the money off the car than to take that 0%. So is it only 0% or is cheap money good too? What if you get one of those 2% rates? I mean, I mean, you can play that game, but I'm, I'm still, I'm not Dave Ramsey on paying off debt, but I am one of these guys, I don't like owing people money. So I, I, I try to have my, I try not to have debt as much as possible. I mean, I'm, I'm debt free right now on automobiles. You, you know that, both of my cars are paid off. And it's, um, I'm really trying. That's the, that's the hard part. My wife, you know, we're, we're probably within nine months of buying a new car. And I'm having that dilemma right now is what, what do I do on 
I'm going to be debt free in three years on it for sure, but I'm there's a chance I might go ahead and put down enough to where I can pay it off in a year to two years. I'm not gonna be able to pay cash completely for the vehicle she wants. And I know that's why I have a client who says that if you can't pay cash, you shouldn't do it. And I know there's probably a, list, a lot of listeners are surprised to hear me say that. But I'm, you know, as I've, as I've always shared with you guys, I'm saving well over 20% of my, my wages towards retirement. And I just don't, I, I would rather put that money to work. So I guess that's kind of getting to your answer a little bit. Is I do have the capability to pay cash completely. But sometimes it's just easier not to disrupt my current savings goals, you know, on cash flow and everything else. You know, I've got it on autopilot what I'm putting in for retirement on a monthly basis. I've got my debt repayment plan on my mortgage, my primary house um, on autopilot. And, and, and I don't want to disrupt my plan that I've already got in place. So it's easier sometimes to take and finance a portion and, and then pay it off over that two to three year period. Does, does that make sense? Instead of, is there an amount you would not be willing to pay? Is 5% too much? 6%? Is, is there an amount? Is there somewhere where you should cut it off and say, holy cow, that's just not worth it? Yeah, obviously. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, if I could get two point, if you can get 2.9% or something, I think that sounds like incredible rates. But once you start paying, I, I, in my head, now I, I, there's no science to this, but anything over four and a half to me sounds like, yeah, I want to get that out of there as soon as possible. I don't, I have no reason to tell you why four and a half pops up in my head, but that's the number in my head. Uh, I don't want to pay really much more in, in interest rate than that. Um, does it, does that answer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that's kind of where let's talk about um. I've lost my place. Those were some great questions though, Bo. But I wanted to I want to talk about these car dealer scams and things to do to avoid because I thought I like these question when they do these question things and um, how are we doing on time we're doing good number one it says top and this is out of Forbes.com and I'll get Bo to put a link on the website for this um, it's top car dealer scams to avoid number one is the ambush and it says beware of being shuffled among the never-ending team of auto pros you shouldn't have to talk to the sales guy out on the lot, the sales manager, the finance manager, the floor manager, and then the used car manager just to buy a car. Pick one to deal with and stick with them. And that's that's that whole theatrical thing that I was alluding to, that if you show up on premise, God help you, because they are going to shuffle you through about five different guys. And even when you do the strategy, I was the, that four-step buying process that I shared with you, when you go in, you're still going to have to deal probably with, if you are thinking about trading in, you have to deal with the used car guy, and if you decide to finance, I know last time I went in, I already had a check because I had gotten approved through through um, some online bank, you know, and physically had a check. And what happened was, I had, even though I had a check, the loan didn't start until that check was used. I mean, I think it was NetBank, which is defunct now, but um, I went in there, and the dealer said, "Hey, look, you know, I can offer you this. You have great credit." I was like, well, heck, if he can, but I had my own financing just in case they didn't wow me with some incredible deal. Right. So I, I would encourage somebody else to do that too. But number two is the confiscation. This is a big one because I, I see the, you know, I, I think this would be a very, this is once again why I think being on premise is much, not as good of a situation as a phone call. Is it, number two is the confiscation. Whatever you do, don't give up the keys to your current vehicle, even if the used car manager asks for them to assess the car for its trade in value. Even if the sales manager asks for them as collateral while you take a test drive. And if, if negotiations should go amiss, it is important to walk out on the deal if you have no way to start your car. So you lose your whole negotiating ability to walk up, get up and leave and, and walk out if somebody you know behind a, a 
a hidden door or, or you know behind a cubicle has the keys to your car. I don't like that. Well, it's true. I mean, these these things that remember they're playing upon emotion and emotional discuss. You know, negotiation is car buying is a very emotional thing. It's not it's not an analytical thing always. Number three, the bum rush. It says salesmen love to hurry you into a deal today. They'll try all kind of things on the spot delivery, haggling over details, one time offers. Don't let them pressure and bully you into an impulsive buy. Show up knowing what kind of car you need and what you can afford to pay. And if they can't provide that, leave. And and I'm always and this happens, you know, we were dealing with it with some other transaction we had here at work a, a few weeks ago. If you remember that guy when we were setting up that vendor, he's like, You've got to give me a price today. This is this is only a one time day. This is only today I can give you this price. But you know why he was doing that. Well, yeah, it was, it was the end of the month. You get was, payday. Yeah, he was trying to get a payday. But still, I never fold to that. That's why when I have a prospect, I'll tell you guys, I never want to see a prospect sign my contracts in front of me. It, it, I've, I think it's only happened once or twice in, in my entire time of managing money. And it really kind of makes me cringe when a client will sign that contract in front of me because, I don't know, I, I won't, I, it's that whole golden rule of treat people like you want to be treated. And I... I want the ability, I know me personally, I want the ability to take home any document, read it, make sure it's something, really think about it, Not make sure it's not an emotional decision. And that's the way I handle my financial planning clients and, and investment clients is I want them to really think about it, make sure this is a good fit for them. But it's not that always that way in sales type relationships. They want you to, to, they're putting you on the spot to make that emotional decision right then. So don't fall for that bum rush. If there's a great deal, you know, it'll probably still be there tomorrow. The next is number four, the buried bill. Read over final invoices carefully before signing anything in order to make sure you're not charged for something you didn't request. Alarms, extra cleaning, prepping, rust proofing, fabric protection, and paint sealant are all common add-ons that sometimes appear on the invoices unknown to the buyer. Hint, consider doing the VIN, the vehicle information number, Etching yourself. Dealers charge hundreds of dollars to do it, but a, a home etching kit costs as little as $20. And these are all things. That's what I was telling you. When you go and and you call the sales managers, all these dealers, once you find three cars, tell them you won't drive out, meaning that's what the check is going to be made out for with sales tax, delivery fees, dealer processing fees, everything. You won't straight up drive out. That's because they will try to catch you on all kind of things. I remember this is a number of years ago. Ford had a direct buy program where you could buy used Ford vehicles. This is many, many years ago. and But you chose the Ford off the internet. They had all these um, fleet vehicles that were on the internet, and then you told them where you lived, and they sent it to a local dealer. And the dealer got paid directly by Ford. And, and that was it. And it even said on the website, this is what you will be paying. Well, I know I bought a car for myself, and then I bought a Lincoln. My mother bought a Lincoln through this website because it was a great program at the time. The car prices on this fleet purchasing was really good on this Internet. Well, my car, there was no hiccups, but my mother's car, there was the dealer we had it delivered to tried to add about a $600 processing fee on there. And they claimed that it was you know, standard for all their vehicles. They had this document processing delivery fee. And I was like, no. And we even had to call Ford, the, the, the 1-800 number on the website. And sure enough, it, it was it was them trying to take, think about it, you do that on every transaction. Make a little bit of money. Make a, more than a little bit. 
Um, number five is the bait and switch. Dealers may advertise one model in the paper loaded with extras for a reasonable price, but then have only a lesser model with less overall value on the lot. When interested parties show up to buy the one they saw in the paper, best ways to avoid this trap, the minute you realize the con, walk away. And I think that's a pretty common practice too. Um, let me see what else it has on here. It's actually a little bit more. It says, pay attention to the little things that are roughly 10,000 new and used dealers in North America accredited by the Better Business Bureau and an additional 15,000 that provide repair service. While the total number of consumer complaints in North America was up 10% overall last year, um, complaints at new car dealerships declined 2.4%. More than 84% of those complaints were resolved according to the Better, Better Business Bureau. And that's probably due to the economy. i got to believe, you know, when things aren't as good, customer service, you know, if you're trying to get buyers in there, I imagine they're being a lot more proactive. Um, Bo, did you see anything else in this yeah, article we'll share? One thing I thought that was great, it says a general rule of thumb is that a car payment should cost no more than 12 to 15% of your after-tax monthly income. So if you are one of those people who decide that you, you, you either can or you don't want to go ahead and pay for it up front, um, the payment should not exceed 12 to 15% of your after-tax monthly income, but that doesn't mean dragging it out over 72 months. Let's, let's assume that's a 36-month loan at the very the very largest, right? Yeah, you don't. You don't I'm, well, I mean, you can, I think when they offer you, I know when I've purchased cars in the past, they offer me, sometimes they give you a break point on the interest rate, and they'll offer um, 2.9 on 36 month or 48 month, and then they'll offer 3.9 on 60 month, you know, and I, so if they give you a deal like that, yeah, go ahead and do 48 months to give yourself, you know, at the lower rate, as long as you're not paying a premium for the extra time, but then I still pay it off usually in 36 months, but what that gives you is a little bit more flexibility, like you, you might, your payment is going to be a lot less, so in case you get a hold of a December where you have a big Christmas bill, you know, it gives you a little flexibility. You can just pay the minimum, you know, what you're required to pay instead of paying the the, the extra. Because that's the other thing is it's the same, car buying is very similar to to amortization charts on your home mortgage statement. Is that just because your payment stub tells you one payment doesn't mean you can't pay extra. You know, that's what I always tell people is you can send them a check if your payment is three twenty and you want to send them four fifty to get that thing knocked out and paid off quicker. Go ahead and do it. You know, you don't have to pay that what's on that check that statement stuff that's just the minimum you have to pay and that's why i will game the system that way too is that i plan on paying a car off in 36 months and calculate what that payment needs to be on a monthly basis but i might have a 48 month loan just so if i in case i have a, a december or you know and all my self-employed listeners know what i'm talking about is there are some months where I'll, I'll tell you it's just tight and then there's some months that i'm flush with cash it's just because of, hey, don't make that. I, but, you know, it's just because of the way the business cycle works. There's some months that all my software licenses are due at the same time, and that's very expensive, um, five-digit easily, you know, for the business to pay all those software licensing fees. And when that happens, money's tight, you know. And, and so you have to, as a business owner, you have to take that stuff into account. It's nice to have a little flexibility in your cash flow uh, on the payments. Um I wanted to tell you, you know, this last article, and we'll close it out with this, was should you buy American American now? And I think it's kind of exciting that these type of articles are showing up, and I'm glad to see when Consumer Reports came out with their top vehicles to buy that Chevrolet um, had several models make it onto the list. Um, but th this is exciting to me because I'll tell you, I have, I did not have, I grew up in a household where you only bought American. My, my father 
thought that it was anti-American to go buy anything that was not Ford, Chevrolet, Chrysler, you know, the Mopar, that that whole family. And, you know, I I kind of, as a teenager, started having some issues with that whole policy, but that that was kind of the way I was raised. And then, you know, I followed that, and I'll tell you, I graduated from college in the mid-90s, and I remember my wife and I got married in the late 90s, and I was so excited. Our first thing, one of the first things we did as a, as a married couple was we bought an, a used vehicle. And I grew up, you know, well, all through college, one of the cool vehicles while I was in college was the Ford Explorer. Um, and I can remember in the late 90s, that same Ford program I was telling you about where you could buy fleet vehicles over the internet and then have them delivered to, to, the, to the local dealership. I bought a Ford Explorer with my wife, and that thing was loaded. It was an Eddie Bauer. I was so excited because, you know, this is all before navigation and everything else. So it, what was cool about it back then was it had the trip computer where you could hit the button and it would show you your average miles per gallon, you know, how long before the tank was empty. This was top-of-the-line stuff back then. It had the leather seats. You know, no, no car my parents ever had had a leather seat. So I, I was like, I have made it. Here I'm in my 20s. I bought this car with the leather seats on it power everything even had steering wheel controls which back in the late 90s that was that was really living right to have steering wheel controls now the I know, bees knees if you will yeah well hey you were probably still in elementary school so <laughs> I don't want to hear anything but um this type of stuff was very exciting to me so we get this car and my wife and I are driving it for years and it's great it's going really good but I tell you that car was designed with a hundred thousand mile switch in it Meaning that once it hit about 110,000 miles, we, we drove it that long. I think we got it with about 40,000 miles on it. Um, and it, once it hit about 110,000 miles, within three weeks, some bad things started happening. I can remember within three weeks, all this happened within a three-week period. I kid you not. First thing that went out was the display on the radio in the car quit working. Now, the radio still worked, but you could no longer see what channel you were on. So the display quit working first. The next thing that happened, driving down the, um, the interstate, I kid you not, I, I'm, I'm turning, you know, getting into a moving left over on the interstate, and I guess we hit a little bit of a bump or something. The driver's side mirror just physically fell off the car driving down the interstate. I mean, I'm sitting there looking left, trying to turn, and I, I notice my rearview mirror just fall off the car. I mean, it didn't hit anything. I mean, and the mirror was still, I mean, the the housing for the mirror was there, but the glass mirror part (laughs) just disappeared. I mean, it fell off right there on the interstate. And then, and this is, remember, all within a three-week period. And then another, I don't know if it had electrical problems or what, but whenever you went over railroad tracks, anything that would cause you to really have a bump, um, the power door locks would just start going up and down until you physically pulled the car over, stopped, and cut the car off, and then cut it back on. I mean, it was sitting there, go, dun, 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 you know, it was raising and low. So we had kind of a a bad experience with the Explorer. I, I hate to say that because I loved that car. It had such warm emotions for me that I felt like here I was, my wife and I were gainfully employed, we were able to buy this nice car, and then it just it slapped us in the face. It really did. So I'm kind of glad to see. American car manufacturers get their act back together. You know, get the quality back in place that people aren't just going to buy you because you're you're the only SUV game in town um, because SUVs were cool at that time. And, and that's ex- very exciting to me. And that, that's kind of what this article that was in U.S. News Rankings and Reviews, you know, it kind of went through the, the, the argument plus the counter argument. And it talks about should you, you can get a great deal on American cars. 
and, and it talks about how a lot of the auto manufacturers are trying to get market share, and one of the ways they're doing that is by really offering some incredible deals. Number two, quality is higher. It talks about J.D. Power just re- released its annual vehicle dependability study, and it, and it may finally put to rest the conventional wisdom that American brands are short on quality. The top two mid-sized cars for dependability, I don't know why I can't speak today, is Buick LaCrosse and the Mercury Milan, while the Cadillac CTS and the Lincoln MKZ land in the top three of the entry premium vehicle class. And I'll tell you, you know, that Buick LaCrosse, actually a good-looking vehicle. The brand-new ones now, in the past, and that's what I have, a, I still have a mental block on some of these things because Buick, to me, is an old man's vehicle. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not, no, no offense to anybody out there with Buick, but if you've seen these new LaCrosses, they're good-looking. I mean, it's a good... And then they have the... Is it the Enclave? Is it the SUV? I think it's a good-looking um, car, too. So I, I think they're working on really reshaping that image. So maybe... And people have short memories. Four years, right. you know, Buick won't be the old man's car. It'll be really the, kind of that refreshing design, you know, because there are some kind of cutting-edge designs there. Uh, you can... Number three on this list was you can still go green. They talk about the Ford Fusion Hybrid. Uh, you know, that, that competes directly with, you know, the Toyota Prius and, you know, Lexus has its own hybrid out there. Number four, this thing, oh, what is four? They're class leaders. Oh, they're class leaders. It's just on the, the class leader. Today's Americans cars can not only, can not only stand up to the competition, they can beat it. The U.S. News car rankings says American cars currently dominate the top spots in the midsize and large car classes. The top five affordable midsize SUVs are American, and when it comes to compact and large SUVs, two of the top three models in both classes are from domestic manufacturers. Of course, you can't forget those trucks that domestic automakers do so well. The the top six full-size pickups are all Americans, and that's probably true, even though I know Toyota seems to be making a strong pull with the Tundra. Uh, with the Tundra. And, and a lot of people the, on the midsize, the Tacoma's always been popular too. And then number five is you'll help American workers. Now, I will tell you, they do give the uh, the counter-argument, and I want to make sure I throw this out there because I do live in the South, and there are import auto manufacturers all over here. In the state of Georgia, I know we have um, Kia, and I think right over on the other side of the state line, not too far from the Kia manufacturing plant, is the Hyundai manufacturing plant, but there's um, all over the south there, a lot of the import, Toyota, Honda, uh, I think BMW even has one up in either North Carolina or South Carolina. So I I do think that um, you're helping American workers pretty much if you buy any vehicle out there these days. So it's kind of exciting, but maybe it's pretty cool that the money does stay more here with an American corporation. I do have my own issues with... um, I'm kind of proud of Ford that they made it through everything without getting involved with the government, and I think that's why you've seen such a kind of a a groundswell of um, grassroots support from a lot of the people in the public, and Ford shares have done tremendously well. But, you know, with that said, I'm still glad. I want General Motors with the Buick and Cadillac and all that to kind of have their own success because, heck, we all own a portion of it, being that it is um, partially owned by the government at this point. But I don't know, for, for putting this show together, I think that this was a, probably a pretty good amount of information for car buying. And, and, you know, Bo, is this a good time for us to talk about the premium membership? I think so. I think I need to do it. Is that um, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, and we're going to be sending out some emails to people directly too, is that I, I got an email last week, and I don't have the gentleman's name in front of me, but, you know, he, he brought up a good point, is that here I am, the money guy, 
talking about getting the best bang for your buck. And we started off with the premium section, and I, 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 we hit the ground running with it. I really feel like we added, and I still think there's a lot of great tools with the Money Guy. That diversification tool that we have out there, where we actually put a webinar together showing you how to go do research with Morningstar, as well as actually our model portfolios that I know are successful with um, the, some of the 401ks we manage here at the firm. I know there's enough data out there to make it worthwhile, but I do feel like we've dropped the ball a little bit on updating the content here in the last few months. And what I want to do to make that right is that I originally, when I set up this premium section, I'd put a price tag. Remember, we started at $49, and then we went up to $100. And um, I, I felt like we were going to be able to be more systematic with putting more data out there for you guys. Well, I've recognized that that's not the value probably with the premium section, and not only with it is our research, but also the access to the archives. And I want to open those archives up to more people. And so you can go back to listen to old shows of the Money Guy and really get some benefit out of that. And I think the best way for me to do that is I'm going to dramatically cut the price of the of the the premium section of the Money Guy. Instead of this being a $99 proposition, I'm going to make it a $29 proposition. $29.99. It's going to be somewhere in there. We're still putting the putting the the update on the website. And what I'm also going to do is everybody who signed up in 2010, you know, for the $99 subscription. I'm going to refund you the difference. I'm going to go ahead and do that. I think it's the right thing for only 2010. Um, and then everybody, as you renew, you will be eligible for the $29.99 price. Uh, because I, I just think that that's the right thing to do. Because I, I think the people who, who have registered in 2010, they haven't gotten some of the new data. We haven't been updating the website. But I do think there's enough data there that they've been well served with, with what's there. But I just want to, while people, it's about time for a lot of people to be renewing. And um, I just want to make sure you get in bang for your buck. And and that email I got last week really made me do some internal thinking about that, saying, are we doing the right thing? Because part of what the premium section does is it allows us to focus attention on doing the show. It helps us pay for the equipment, pay for the bandwidth. And you see, you're not only just buying the Money Guy premium subscription to get the content. You're also doing it to show that you're for the Money Guy um, movement that we've got going on where we're giving great advice, non-biased advice, um, and, and I appreciate you guys all being a part of that. But I want to give you that update to let you know we're going to, to be making those changes because I want to provide more access to more people and really be a part of you reaching financial independence. And I think the easy way to make that happen is slashing that $99 price down to that $29 range and then also making sure that we do focus on the content and get some more content out there as well. Um, I know Bo just in the last two weeks put our new brand new first quarter commentary out there. It's the same commentary we send our, our financial planning clients. And I just appreciate everything you guys have done and anything you, any type of feedback you want to send me can send it to Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Bo, did you have anything you wanted to add before we, we close out today's show? I know. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Well, I also want you guys, if you think of any show topics, any questions, anything that you really want to you know have us talk about, please send us that information over. You are the motivation. You are what helps us get this show better. And I just appreciate your time as well as your support and listening to The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. 
Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. 